Our text this morning is from the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. If you have your Bibles or the Pew Bible, I invite you to join me in the reading of God's Word. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? The Scripture says this, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and a slave like the master. If they have called you, have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are far more valuable than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the ones and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. I enjoy reading the Gospels. I enjoy reading the stories of Jesus. In many ways, Jesus is one of the most attractive personalities the world has ever known. Luke records for us that as a young man that Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. And he was a favorite of his hometown. He was popular. And during the years of his public ministry, people crowded around to hear him. We also like to hear good news. And Jesus often spoke words of comfort and encouragement. In fact, he characterized his own ministry as one of hope when he read from the scripture in his hometown and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Matthew in the 11th chapter records his words, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. And in today's passage, Jesus talks about how much more valuable we are than sparrows. And as we've already noticed this morning, he also says that even the hairs of our head are numbered. Now, for some of us, that's a daily counting, right? It's getting thinner and thinner. Hats used to be optional for me, but not anymore if I'm in the sun. But there is an element of tenderness and gentleness and compassion. There's a kind of a wooing or a comforting tone to many of the words of Jesus. And we love to hear those words. We love to read those words. That's why the next portion of this text seems so strange. Because sometimes Jesus' words kind of shock us. Or at least they disturb us. Sometimes his message seems strange and severe. And from the beginning of his ministry, some of his words caused people not to follow him. Not to follow him. And he urged those who would be his followers to count the cost of discipleship. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? In verse 32, he says, we are to acknowledge him publicly. The Christian faith is not a secret society. It's not a secret decision. Christ calls for a public profession of his lordship. This is part of the reason that many Baptists have public invitations in our churches. The response time provides a simple opportunity to say publicly among Christian friends, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. But walking down an aisle doesn't magically make a person a Christian. And it's certainly not a requirement of the Christian faith. It's really just a convenience. Believers, baptism is also a kind of public testimony. Through baptism, Paul says, we acknowledge that we are buried with him in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too live a new life. You see, a Christian commitment is an inner decision that is publicly acknowledged. It's a decision we make in our hearts, but it changes the way we live. It's foundational to our mission outreach as a church. But the public acknowledgement of Christ is primarily focused in our daily lives. In our daily life, in the life of the believer, not in the church building. We are to acknowledge our commitment to Christ by the way we live. By the way we live. When we become a Christian, we say we are adopting His way. We've decided we're going to live the Jesus way. That's why we are Jesus followers. Now this is pretty tough demand because... I'm pretty sure that a lot of times I deny him by the way I live. On my best days, on my best days, I hope that something of the Savior's love and compassion 
is reflected in my life. But then I remember all the other days. And I remember how Jim is a lot of the time. That's why it's such a tough statement. We're supposed to acknowledge him publicly. When I was in college, a friend of mine made a poster. College kids make posters. Fill the rooms with posters. I really liked the poster. And I told him about it, and later he gave it to me. And the poster said, If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You see, Jesus said, If you deny me before others, I will deny you before my Father. Now, the good news is this. When we acknowledge him publicly, he acknowledges us before his heavenly Father. He becomes our advocate. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God unless Jesus is standing with me. Shake your head, yes. I think that's pretty universal. He claims us when we claim him. What a wonderful truth. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To acknowledge him publicly in the way you live. Now in verse 34, Jesus goes on to challenge his followers to consider their priorities. And the context for his challenge is the relationships we have with our families. In verse 37 he says, If you love father or mother or son or daughter more than him, you are not worthy of him. What does that mean? What does that mean? If you love father or mother or son or daughter, I mean, surely he's not saying we shouldn't love our families, right? No, obviously he's not. Obviously, Jesus is not saying we should not love our families, but he is saying our commitment of our lives to Christ must take precedence over all other commitments. I mean, think about it. Our lives are based on lots of commitments, right? All kinds of commitments, and they're good. Marriage, family, church, our vocations, commitments we have in our communities. We have lots of commitments, and they're good. They're an important part of life. But it's by its very nature, a commitment of your life to Christ must take precedence over all other commitments. Think about it. If you're going to make a commitment to God, is there any place else to put him? but first in your life? I mean, how could you put God number two or number three or on down the list? Fred Craddock suggests that Jesus gives his call for loyalty over and against the strongest, not the weakest claim a person otherwise knew, the claim of family love. You see, Jesus never offered himself as an an alternative to the worst, but to the best in society. 
Perhaps Jesus wanted to touch on the most basic, most heart-connected part of human life and then teach us that even deeper, even more important, even more powerful than that are the love of God and the demands of faith. He's not saying your family's not important. He's saying it's incredibly important. But God, God has to be the center of our lives. He has to be the center. Now that's a pretty radical commitment of your life. And yet it's the type of commitment that is required of the followers of Jesus. The words of Jesus disturb me because I know how often I place other things ahead of him in my life. I realize how often I make decisions that do not reflect Christ at the center of my life. Too much of the time, Jim is at the center of my life. But the good news is, when you put Christ first in your life, all of your other commitments fit together better. Life works better when you put Jesus at the center. When you put him at the center of your life. You see, we discover life the way God intended it to be lived. Because we put God where he belongs in our lives. When I was in college, I sang in campus singers. It's the great big choir, over 200 voices, non-audition. That's why I was in it. And we sang a lot of wonderful music, and I could sing as loud as I wanted, and nobody could hear me. It was wonderful. We sang an anthem that I had never heard before I was in this group, entitled, My Eternal King. The words say, My God, I love thee. Not because I hope for heaven thereby, or yet because those who love thee not must die eternally. Not for hope of escaping hell, not seeking a reward. Even so, I love thee, and will love, and in thy praise will sing, solely because thou art my God. And my eternal king. You see, that's the kind of relationship we're supposed to have with God. It's supposed to be one that is so important to our lives, so important to us, that we couldn't possibly place God anywhere but at the center of our lives as our top commitment. And if that wasn't enough, this public acknowledgement of Jesus and then putting that commitment above all others. Jesus goes on in verses 38 and 39 and suggests that those of the following him are required to pick up a cross. Pick up a cross. Now sometimes we talk about our crosses to bear. They're not usually crosses. Because most of the time, the things we talk about are not things we chose. Most of the things are just things we have to live with. They're a little more akin to Paul's thorn in the flesh than they are a cross. But Jesus says that following him means choosing a life that is to be characterized by personal sacrifice. The call for following Christ is a call to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow Jesus. 
follow him. Now the cross is a symbol of personal sacrifice. In Romans 12, Paul says, we are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You see, the Christian's cross, if we would model it after our Savior, is always willingly accepted and carried. You choose it. You choose it. Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. Okay. We give up our lives for the sake of the kingdom and for others. Now that's tough. It's tough because it goes contrary to my basic nature. How many of you just dying to sacrifice? No, we're not usually... That's not the American way. That's not what it says in the commercials, right? But the Christian that's following Jesus has to pick up a cross and follow the Savior. Who would choose to do that? People who follow Jesus. The good news is the cross, a life of personal sacrifice, is the primary source of a full and abundant life. Did you hear me? The cross, this symbol of personal sacrifice, is the primary source of a full and abundant life. Jesus lived the most abundant life ever lived, not in spite of the cross, but precisely because of the cross. Because he chose to give his life that we might live. It is the life of sacrifice and self-giving that leads to the abundant life. No matter what the commercials say, it's not getting everything you can possibly get. Someone wrote, you can applaud without following You can admire without helping. You can be near and never lay a brick in God's city or strike a blow for God's victory. But Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. I won't tone that down. I won't tone the master's message down because if I did, you'd miss out on life. You'd miss out on the best that life has to offer. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to publicly acknowledge him as Lord of your life and to choose to live life his way. It means to put him at the center of your life above all other commitments so that life works It means to live a life that includes carrying a cross, that includes personal sacrifice for the kingdom, for Christ. The good news is these demands of the gospel lead us to life. They help us find life. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live. Some of you know I grew up in Maryville, northwest Missouri, where my father went to be pastor of a little mission congregation just prior to my birth. 
And he stayed 15 years, so I didn't find out preachers moved till I was in high school. And through the time that we were a part of that little congregation, it was a little mission congregation, we went there and it grew and expanded. We had three building programs in the little church and we were always collecting money for building payments. And um, we had a business meeting where we were early in the life of that church when we were trying to figure out what to do about an upcoming building kind of balloon payment on our building. And um, how many of you know that Baptists are not always their best at business meeting? Right? Well, at the business meeting that night was Glenn. Glenn was a new Christian. Glenn had drove a truck and had lived a pretty rough life. And he came to Christ. My father led him to Christ. And it radically changed his life. And he would become one of the leaders in the congregation. But Glenn was a new Christian. He was at his first business meeting. It's a terrible thing to do to a new Christian. (laughs) Take him to business meetings. But he was there and they were talking about this building payment coming due. And and the discussion kind of degenerated into a little bit of an argument. And uh, after several minutes of listening to this, Glenn raised his hand and said, How much do we owe? Somebody told him. He, said, he stood up, he said, you know, he said, my house isn't much, but it's paid for. He said, I'll go to the bank tomorrow. I'll mortgage my house. I'll make the payment. I'll make the payment. Dad said he had never seen a business meeting get more quiet more quickly. When the people in the room discovered Lynn had a new priority for life. A new priority for life. Dad said they took up the commitments for the payment that night before they left the meeting from the rest of the congregation. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to acknowledge him in our lives publicly. It means to put him at the center of our lives. And it means to pick up a cross, the symbol of personal sacrifice, and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for the privilege of following Jesus. And Father, we confess the fact that a lot of times, our, our lives don't really reflect our Savior. So we come today, Father, asking for your forgiveness and asking for your spirit to have freedom in our lives that we might be the people you want us to be. Father, I pray if there are people here today that need to make a decision for you, that they'll have the courage to do that, whether it's quietly and privately in their heart or publicly. Father, have your way in our lives in this moment of response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand together and sing a hymn as we have a time of response. Invitations are just about that. They're just about an opportunity for you to respond to whatever God is saying to you. I often make decisions in my own heart and life 
in these moments of response. Sometimes those decisions are just between you and God. Sometimes they're decisions that God wants you to share. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, we'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you about what that means. If you're a Christian and you don't have a place where you worship and serve in the kingdom, this is a great church. I invite you to come and plant your life among this group of God's people. Serve in the kingdom here. Anything that God wants you to do, any decision you feel like he wants you to make, we invite you to come.